Caesar's Guide to Former Mayor and Current Presidential Candidate Michael Bloomberg. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm good. I'm excited about this high-quality hour of radio programming we're about to unleash on, uh, on the people of New York. It's going to be excellent. Thank you for being along for the ride, as Jarrett said in the introduction here. Michael Bloomberg, former mayor of New York City, is our subject for much of today's show. We are going to discuss the former mayor's legacy as mayor of New York City and his presidential campaign, which is, like it or not, causing lots of waves. And he's made a big splash by spending hundreds of millions of dollars already. He's already the candidate for president who spent the most money in U.S. history. He's already eclipsed what uh, Barack Obama spent. And um, he's going to be on the debate stage tonight. He's not on the ballot on Saturday in Nevada's caucuses or the following Saturday in South Carolina's primary. But then he will arrive on the ballot and he has already made his way into this race in a significant way. Totally true. And I think I should note before we forget that because this race is starting to pick up and we do not know what's going to happen, obviously, as Ben mentioned, this coming Saturday, the Saturday after that, the Tuesday after that, Super Tuesday is oh, really yeah. the next huge date. New York's presidential primary is, it feels like, eons after that. Uh, April 28th is the date. But we know this race already obviously matters to people in New York, not just political junkies, but everyone who cares about the future of the country and maybe the world. And so we want to start talking sooner rather than later about what the candidates and their ideas mean for people here. And so next Wednesday, we're going to have a very special extended live audience version of Max and Murphy downstairs in the Commons Cafe here at 388 Atlantic Avenue, where we're going to have surrogates of as many of the campaigns as we can get. A few have already committed. Others are in negotiations as we speak. Uh, Come in and talk about what their candidate's message is specific to New Yorkers and the issues facing New Yorkers, some of which obviously get aired on the debate stage, the same things facing Americans and people everywhere, but uh, trying to tailor that message for the specific things that are of concern here. So that'll be next Wednesday, February 26, 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, a gathering at 4.30, and then a, a program from 5 to 6.30, including a, a live radio uh, portion and a fully recorded program to be broadcast uh, in complete uh, complete uh, recording later on. So put that in your in your calendar. Sure. Join us next Wednesday. It'll be fun. Um, so for today's show, we are focused on Mayor Bloomberg's candidacy. We're going to be joined in just a few minutes by Bob Hart, a longtime city journalist who is now the political director at Spectrum News New York One. Bob helps oversee things like New York One's Inside City Hall and other political programming there. And he's been around a long time, has great perspective on Michael Bloomberg and much else. So Bob Hart will join us shortly. And then later in the show, we'll be joined by Eleanor Randolph, a former member of the New York Times editorial board, who recently published a biography of Michael Bloomberg, The Many Lives of Michael Bloomberg. And she will join us with her perspective on his life, career, and his candidacy now. So we've got two veteran journalists, great guests coming up. But before we get to those guests, Jarrett, you've written a lot about Michael Bloomberg. Uh, tell me, tell listeners, I mean, what do you, you know, what are you thinking as you see him cannonball into this race and uh, make the splash he's he's made? I'm thinking it's, it is remarkable that uh, you mentioned how he has really become the man of the hour in the past couple of weeks. I mean, his candidacy has been rumored for a while and it's been real for, for some time, but you know, virtually every article about the campaign in the past fortnight has been about Bloomberg, something he said, something he spent, an ad he he posted or a reaction to it. Uh, you know, I think when he left office, I said he was the most consequential mayor of our era, which is kind of a dodge, doesn't say good or bad, but certainly with 12 years and 12 very important years under his belt, there was a lot to sift through in terms of assessing legacy. Um, it's remarkable to me how much of that is being explored now, both by virtue of the mayor raising it um, and having his surrogates and many endorsers raise it, and then some of the comments that are coming out about uh, aspects of it that were not very pleasant. Um, some comments we, we knew about at the time, others we perhaps didn't pay enough attention to. Uh, it's all coming out very, very, very quickly. And so I think we're, we're getting, I think part of the reason for doing this show today is to kind of talk about what are the lessons that New Yorkers extracted from 12 years with Michael Bloomberg, because the national campaign is already starting to sift through quite a few of them. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's a certain mythology around Michael Bloomberg, in part due to the fact that he was such a different mayor because of his wealth and how he came to power and the fact that he sort of party hopped a bit and then spent 
tens and tens of millions of dollars and then over a hundred million dollars on three different races. He extended term limits. But, you know, the way that he managed and led and the and the background that he had, you know, even even though our mayors in New York City have come from a lot of different backgrounds, he he was a different one in, in many ways. And so, you know, the city was immediately recovering from the September 11th attacks when he came into office. And then he also dealt with the, the financial crash and the and Superstorm Sandy and some of these big crises, um, while also sort of trying to establish a certain image about himself. And then post mayoral term of those big full 12 years of lots of controversy, progress, problems, all sorts of things. He then became this just mega philanthropist with these major causes that he focused on from gun control to climate, especially public health, of course, carried on from when he was mayor, that he was this uber, uber billionaire really devoting – putting a lot of money where his mouth is, right, and sort of developed this – this mythology around him that now all of a sudden he's just a candidate for office again and needs to be dealt with. And I think one thing for people to recognize, and you know, you can dig into as, as certainly Eleanor, our second guest, has in her book and others have as well, into exactly what his trajectory was as a businessman and, and how he made his money. But part of the thing to understand about Michael Bloomberg is that he ran a media company and he always understood very, very, I think, uh, instinctively and with a lot of savvy how the media worked. And I think that's a big part of the mythology around Bloomberg, his time in office, the way that it has been difficult to distill some of the information about his record here is because he came to power as local media was really going through years and years of crises, crisis or crises, um, shrinking of newsrooms, uh, the collapsing of some local coverage. And Bloomberg came in at a time when social media was was still in its infancy and then became mature during his time in office. Uh, really very skilled at using that and understanding how to fill that void, um, obviously having the money to do so. And I think that's uh, something that will be interesting to talk to Bob Hart about because obviously New York One was one of the few kind of steady sources of information about uh, Bloomberg as it has been about other mayors too. So today we're digging into the mayoral career of Michael Bloomberg as he mounts his presidential campaign finally after flirting with the idea quite a bit in the past. Going to be joined shortly by Bob Hart of Spectrum News New York One and then a little bit by Eleanor Randolph, formerly of the New York Times editorial board, among other publications and the recent author of a biography of Michael Bloomberg. And we have Bob Hart on the line with us now. So let's bring Bob on. Bob, Ben Max from Gotham Gazette with Jared Murphy of City Limits. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Great to be here. So. Start off just a little bit sort of big picture of Michael Bloomberg from your perspective as mayor, uh, folks that either were around or weren't around. I mean, are there ways that you can sort of capture what he was all about, his sort of the image he tried to portray or the type of mayor that he was in his 12 years leading New York City? He tried to portray himself as a non-ideological technocrat who got things done who embraced the idea that there wasn't a democratic way or a Republican way to take out the garbage, but it's important for the garbage to get taken out. Um, And I think after eight years of Giuliani, who had an ideological bent, uh, and obviously there's a huge liberal ideological bent dominating the city, that at least for a while, for a lot of New York voters, it was a, a breath of fresh air. He was a Democrat turned Republican, and then while he was mayor, turned non-affiliate. So I, I, he didn't. I wouldn't say he had a a real huge base one way or the other. I don't think people necessarily in conservative parts of Staten Island loved him. I don't think he was necessarily embraced uh, by parts of liberal New York. But he was able to get up, a, a cherry pick enough of a cross section of New Yorkers, and, and also use his enormous wealth to be in office for 12 years. Bob, that image of the non-ideological manager is absolutely what he ran on. I'm curious, was that accurate? Did that accurately depict his approach to governing, uh, at least uh, over the course of his term? Because he was there for, for 12 years, and whatever he was in 2002, he might have been a different man by the time 2013 rolled around. He certainly didn't talk about the environment all that much when he first ran for mayor in 2001. And somewhere along the line, I believe going into his second term, he 
put out a blueprint about the city's environment called Plan NYC, and he was sort of became a convert. And there were certain issues that I think he discovered during his mayoralty. Uh, the transportation late in his mayoralty suddenly became a celebrated cause with his transportation, one of his last transportation commissioners, Jeanette Sadek Khan. Health throughout the 12 years of his administration was very important to him. He had uh, several health commissioners, all of whom were front and center. The ban on smoking, which now we all take for granted in New York City, was very controversial when the mayor pushed it through. Uh, The ban on trans fats being used in restaurants was was another thing. So there were certain causes, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that has an ideological bent to it. If you had a really pigeonhole, I would say he was a liberal moderate. Uh, And that's very, very different now than what you're seeing in his campaign ads, where you might think he was a member of Barack Obama's cabinet or his running mate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's been striking to me lately and and certainly during um, Bloomberg's time in office and then and then after between his his exit from office and this run is just this general sense that he's kind of a guy without a party. He he doesn't necessarily fit with um, Republicans, especially under under Donald Trump. And, you know, he's also often been an awkward fit for Democrats. And, and that doesn't mean that there aren't members of both parties who certainly, you know, he appeals to whether he's flooding, you know, the market with cash or not. Um, but then there's also those that vast number of of independent or unaffiliated voters that are both in New York City and New York State and beyond. Um, but one of the issues where some of that comes into real focus is on policing, is on stop and frisk, which obviously has dominated so much of the conversation in his early bid here. Were you surprised at all that he launched his campaign with that apology for for how he treated stop and frisk? And sort of what do you make of the, the fallout from that? It was a ripping the Band-Aid off moment for Bloomberg. He realized, or his team realized, they had to deal with this sooner rather than later or it would fester. So now he, one of the first things he can say is, listen, I addressed it. I made a mistake. I was wrong. And, and let's move on. Now, of course, that isn't necessarily what we in the media want to do or his opponents want to do. This is a policy that he really vociferously spoke out in favor of for many, many years. It was only at the very end of his 12 years in office facing litigation that stop and frisk really, really drop precipitously in, in, the, in the final year and a half of his administration. But it strikes many, I think, as something that really I mean, looked like political opportunism to suddenly have that uh, moment of conversion just right around when he's deciding to run for president. Finally, he see, sees the light when critics have been telling him for years that this is racially unjust, that a vast disproportionate number of black and Latinos are being stopped by the NYPD. And then what makes matters worse is Bill de Blasio, the ultra-liberal, is elected, and everyone says, oh, the sky's going to fall, crime's going to go on the rise. Stop and frisk continues to go down. It's very, very low now. And crime, uh, until the last month or so in the city, has continued to plummet. So that sort of takes out the central crime-fighting argument of why New York City had stop and frisk. Yep. Honestly, I, I, I think j- just I don't think that voters are going to say I'm not voting for this guy because of stop and frisk. A lot of the stuff that is coming out about the, the about uh, the mayor uh, Bloomberg, I want to say De Blasio, I, I think it isn't in this Trump world going to shock that many voters. We're speaking with Bob Hart from New York One about Mayor Bloomberg, uh, former Mayor Bloomberg, now presidential candidate Bloomberg. If you want to call with a question for Bob, who's covered uh, city politics for a long time and been at uh, New York One for, for the bulk of this century, please give us a ring at 212-209-2877. Uh, Bob, Just, I want to ask about that, the stop and frisk. And what's fascinating about that whole uh, contour for me is that when Bloomberg took office, he sort of positioned himself as the anti-Giuliani on race. He reached out to Al Sharpton, said, I'll always answer your calls. And when Sean Bell was killed by the NYPD, he you know, very quickly kind of validated the outrage and uh, sadness people were feeling in a way that Giuliani simply never would have. What do you think got us from there to arguably the most racially polarizing policy that the city has engaged in in our in our memories is that about a, a change in bloomberg or is that about his management style and the amount of discretion he gave to ray kelly i, I think the la- latter uh, jared i think 
that Ray Kelly was known as a great crime fighter and that Bloomberg realized his whole legacy would be in jeopardy if crime went up. Ray Kelly was a very smart guy, but who also, I, w- I would say, um, wasn't afraid sometimes uh, to break the rules a little bit. Be, uh, the Muslim surveillance is a great example, uh, heavily criticized, much of it justified, of the NYPD surveillance of, of Muslim uh, American communities and Muslim communities in New York City. Um, I think Ray Kelly did not want to be the police commissioner who had another nine, had a 9/11 happen on his watch. The police commissioner who saw crime rise on his on his uh, watch. So he wasn't afraid to to do whatever it takes. And I think the mayor said, "Listen, I got to give this guy carte blanche," which he basically did for 12 years. It's also an extraordinary run. You do not see someone be a police commissioner for 12 for 12 years in a row. It, yeah. it really was a remarkable run. And, you know, that's one of the things and maybe we'll have time for this, maybe not. But, um, you know, one of the things about Bloomberg and as a manager is that he surrounded himself with a variety of commissioners that people really respected in their fields in, in certain ways. And he gave them a lot of that leeway that you mentioned um, and and trusted people in a way, you know, it's been a very different management style in certain ways under de Blasio. It's not for, for this show, but, um, but uh, let's come back to, to more of that in a moment. Let's take a quick call here. Welcome to WBAI. You're on Max and Murphy. What's your question for us? Hi, thanks. Um, my name is David. I'm a chapter chair in DC 37 and a former neighbor of Jared Murphy. Uh-huh. And um, I, uh, my question is uh, how you label Mike Bloomberg as non-ideological. Um, he wouldn't sign contracts with city unions. He left the city a basically a plaything for the real estate industry, and he left the city where working people can't live anymore. I think his ideology is is crystal clear. So given his record and given the actual facts of what he did um what is there how do you how do you label him as having been a non-ideological manager thank you for that for that call yeah i mean i say to david um regarding organized labor and mayors you can go from Lindsay to giuliani to dinkins to Koch. All of them had fraught relations at one time or another during their mayoralty with organized labor. So I, 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 and they're all ideologically different. Um, I would just say, in terms of, of Bloomberg, um, that I don't think I think it'd be very hard to peg him looking at where he stands issue by issue, from the environment uh, to education uh, to, to crime, to, to peg him, to put him uh, in, into to pigeonhole into one ideological category, I think would be very I guess difficult. It's interesting, right? Because this comes up a lot in discussions about Bloomberg, which is he, he probably didn't fit any particular um, kind of cutout ideological place on that spectrum. But there certainly was there was a, a set of beliefs that guided him in his policy making. I mean, a lot of it was, frankly, trust in the private marketplace, which as a billionaire you would expect he would have. I mean, there was a set of beliefs there. It wasn't just kind of moving as a manager from from issue to issue. Well, I think it's also a little bit that it's not that he and I think, Bob, you sort of got at this in some of your initial comments. It's not that he doesn't have ideology. It's just that he's not easily captured in a certain political ideology that, that we usually toss around in American politics. Right. I mean, it's almost like we don't have enough real viable political parties in this country for Bloomberg to have a great home, as I was sort of getting at earlier. But yeah, he certainly had a set of, set of beliefs. Go ahead, Bob. Ben, ben, I think you're absolutely right in that four years ago, the Bloomberg team looked very hard at what it would be like to run as a third party candidate. And they came up with a map and it was a mess. <laughs> and even if he won a couple of states, they, they concluded that Donald Trump would be president and they didn't want that. They realize now that there is – we've never seen a third party – unless you go back to Abraham Lincoln. You haven't never seen – and he doesn't really count – a third-party candidate be elected president. Uh, you look at Ross Perot. He finished – the best he did was finishing second in two states. Mm-hmm. And so even though he's not a, tr- a true uh, blue Democrat, they realize this is the only path they can take for him to win. And right now, it looks like the smartest path they could have taken rather than like create the independent Bloomberg Party. And I do, we do really appreciate that call, David, and also say, you know, the, the few things that you ticked off there are, are very much on our, our prep list here for topics that are so central to the Bloomberg legacy, labor, uh, you know, sort of housing development, gentrification. And, you know, 
tied in with labor certainly was, of course, the teachers union, which is an essential you know labor force in any city. Um, and one thing that struck me, and I wonder if this is going to happen either at tonight's debate or as we move forward, is that so much of the oxygen around the Bloomberg candidacy what you know some of it's discussing of course the money he's spending but then has been focused on the stop and frisk and the policing record that the education record which is arguably his signature issue has barely been touched so far and that's you know that's that's pretty essential um before you comment on that bob let's go to one more caller hi you're on max and murphy what's your question hi good evening gentlemen um two uh two points on your most recently mentioned topic you know i was uh science teacher in the Board of Ed uh, during uh, Bloomberg's reign, I guess you could call it. And, you, you know, I don't know that anyone could say anything about his being uh, particularly progressive with regard to uh, his educational policies. If anyone remembers, he had to get a special dispensation to have his um, education commissioner approved. The man had no education background at all. As I recall, and that was Joe Klein. That's not even getting into Kathy Black, but right, separate, exactly. separate issue. But, but, but here's here's a question mm-hmm. I really want to mm-hmm. ask: Why is it that no one is talking about the the most egregious? I mean, stop and frisk was bad, but the most egregious use of power that this man, who has God knows how much money, was able to do with regard to buying the city council. And another term in office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't see anybody saying that alone should be a question as to what is this guy going to do when he's commander-in-chief and head of the United States. You know, that's an excellent... Thank you for the call, caller. And that, Bob, that raises an excellent point, which is that was obviously a huge issue here in at, at the time we were considering, uh, or the city council was considering, extending term limits, certainly in the 2009 election. It certainly has affected Bloomberg's legacy. Uh, I guess the question I've had is, is that going to translate to the national stage? People can be like, what, you know, what no. the heck are term limits? Yeah. I, I think the money is a very powerful argument, it, it, more so than looking going through his 12 years. I mean, yes, you can go through his 12 years. There's some, some, there's some high points. There's some low points. But I think saying, hey, listen, you're just basically a, a, a Democratic version or an, another version of Trump trying to use your money to buy this election, and like the caller pointed out, and to – basically break your campaign pledge and say you only want to you you believe in term limits and then suddenly when the rubber hits the road meets the road you you basically he's right basically you know bully the city council into overturning term limits i think is a very powerful idea that hey you're an oligarch hey you're a guy who has a lot of money um, and you are just a different version of Trump, and this is not what America is about. I think that is the best talking point for the other Democrats, rather than talking about stop and frisk, or you said this about redlining, or, or you said this uh, about uh, trans Americans. There's, I mean, this happened to Joe Biden with Kamala Harris, and guess what? Joe Biden's still there, and Harris is out when she tried to go after him about uh, busing uh, in their first debate. So I think it's much, much smarter to talk about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, um, <laughs> you know, the caller brought up the, the third term. We were going to try to get to that, too. I mean, there's so many defining sort of moments, controversies, et cetera, around Bloomberg. We just have a few more minutes with you, Bob. Talk about, I mean, are there are there accomplishments, <laughs> you know, that you think are signature things that, you know, again, folks are going to be learning about more, you know, as he proceeds in this campaign? Are there are there things that he thought were co- accomplishments at the time that maybe he's not going to tout so much? I mean, that's where I come back to maybe education. You know, he sort of thought that closing down a lot of schools, opening a lot of charter schools, small schools, et cetera, um, made a lot of progress. And in some ways, the metrics show that that did. But that, of course, stirred up a lot of controversy. And it's certainly another way where today's Democratic Party might not be the biggest fit. Um, but anyway, on, on some of the accomplishment front, what, what would you point to? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The centralization, the re-centralization of the school system was uh, a great accomplishment of his. I don't know if that really translates to, uh, to voters, Democratic voters across the country. I think he can point to, to crime continuing to plummet, really plummeting under his watch. That, I think, plays, saying he made the streets safer. The problem is when he says that now, his opponents will, will very – justifiably raise a uh, stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he's already been talking about taking over New York after 9-11, uh, 
Uh, and I think that's a, a smart thing, too. The city, people forget, the, the economy was, was really hurt in the wake of 9-11, uh, and it then rebounded. Now, whether or not he can take credit for it, I don't know if that's really fair, but he, he might try to do that, talking about the economic um, balance. That's something also that it would be smart if he talks about, is that he has built a business unlike, and he can also say, unlike you know, Trump's business, or who knows you know, how much it's real, how much it's fake. I have a real business. I built an empire. Um, and, you know, I'm a solid, I'll be a solid hand on the wheel of the ship of state. Um, but that's also sort of what we're going to be hearing from Joe Biden. So I think there'll be a lot of back and forth between Biden, uh, Biden and Bloomberg tonight. And you listening to the Bloomberg aides yesterday, they're basically trying to call this a two person race talking about Sanders. It's just between them and Sanders. They want to whitewash Biden out of this race right now. And so it's a very, very important night, this debate and then the next debate with Joe Biden, to make him the palatable alternative for moderate Democrats rather than uh, Michael Bloomberg. Bob, in the couple of minutes we have left, I want to turn the spotlight kind of back on on us, by which I mean the New York press corps and you know, lumping you and me and to a lesser extent, Ben, because he's he's still young and, and handsome. But, <laughs> you know, looking at some of the comments of the mayor um, that have come to light in the past few days or that have been highlighted, the comments from when he was in corporate life uh, that deemed misogynistic uh, and sexist, obviously the remarks in 2008 about redlining. Certainly some of that was in the ether as he was running and as he was mayor. But it, it seemed to me in retrospect, like maybe we didn't pay as much attention to that as we should. Maybe that has something to do with the moment. Maybe we dropped the ball. What do you think? When you look at the comments that are making the news now, they were all something that, you know, we could have we could have paid more attention to uh, in in the time. Did we um did we let New Yorkers down, do you think? No, no, I don't think we did. In 2001, the the Bloomberg joke book, which had all these offensive remarks that he made and it was distributed privately, uh was definitely an issue on the campaign trail. Uh, and then also became a subject of uh, um, attack ads by Mark Green, his Democratic rival. I, I think we covered him pretty aggressively over 12 years. The problem is, and this is also sort of what New York reporters assumed with Trump, is that we assume, well, if we know it, everyone else knows it. And so that's why some of these things are coming surf- resurfacing is because this is the first time the National Press Corps is finding out about it. But if you go back on Nexus or on Google stuff around, you'll see there's plenty of material out there already. Uh, we, we knew, um, we've known how, for many years, how strongly Bloomberg defended stop and frisk. This isn't a new revelation. But I, again, I, I think some of this is, there's a Trump inoculation that the, the Trump said some really nasty things that we all know about. And every time that happened, we thought, oh, this is it. So I don't think any, a lot of these things sort of pale in comparison as far as I'm concerned to what Trump has said. Uh, and, and so I don't know how much it's going to damage him. I think voters are going to be pretty, like I said about Joe Biden, are going to be pretty forgiving about some of the mistakes of his past. And again, on balance, I think his mayoralty was a success. Yes, the, the city, uh, the, there's the divide continued, the divide that Mayor de Blasio talks about, and it's gotten, uh, got worse during his 12 years, but that was also true for the rest of the country as well. Meanwhile, the city overall became a safer place uh, and a more successful place. Some people were left in its wake, but a lot more people, I would say, if you asked, hey, were you better off 12 years ago than you, than you, you know, now, uh, most people would say, yeah, I'm better off than I was 12 years ago. Well, Bob, lucky for you, we're out of town, so I can't ask you if you think he's going to win or not. But thank you so much for being with us, Bob Hart, the political director at Spectrum News. Uh, have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Enjoy the debate tonight, guys. Thanks, Bob. You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM. Uh, Jarrett Murphy and Ben Max coming at you with a show focused on Mayor Bloomberg, his legacy, kind of a user's guide to Mayor Bloomberg as he makes waves as the uh, one of the now apparently uh, leading candidates for the Democratic nomination for president and making his debate stage appearance tonight in a matter of hours. And uh, we were just joined by Bob Hart of New York One. We're going to be joined shortly by Eleanor Randolph, who recently wrote a biography of Michael Bloomberg and was a longtime uh, member of the New York Times editorial board. You know, it's just so interesting. We just had Bob Hart on the line for 20 minutes. We took a couple of great calls. Those are very those are excellent calls and uh, points. But, you know, there's just so much to dig into here. You know, it's like it feels like we barely scratched the surface of, you know, the third term extension is education record. And we didn't even really talk about sort of this idea of development, gentrification, you know, sort of trying to turn New York City into a luxury brand. Um, The positives that came with that, the negatives that came with that, the idea that. 
you know, in some ways he was more conservative than others, but he also grew the city budget significantly and, you know, raised taxes when he had to or felt he had to. Um, and really just tricky to put him in any type of box, but we don't need to do that. So uh, we'll continue to explore him and we'll do that with our with our next guest. Uh, Eleanor Randolph joins us now. She's a former member of the New York Times editorial board and the author of the recently released The Many Lives of Michael Bloomberg. Eleanor, Ben Max from Gotham Gazette here with Jarrett Murphy. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Hi, both of you. Thanks so much for being on. Talk to us about uh, the title of your book. Let's start there because I feel like this is a perfect pivot to, to pull back from. We the know intense, you didn't write the title, though. Intense, or we, we think, I did. Oh, you I did. did. Okay. Oh, okay. Congratulations. Okay, rare. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the, the many yeah. lives of Michael Bloomberg. What are the lives we should be we should be thinking about and knowing about as we as we look at his presidential candidacy? Well, you know, um, we're New Yorkers. So we looked at the 12 years he was mayor and there's plenty there. There's good and bad, as you know, and uh, but very, very interesting in the way he operated but the first life was on wall street and that to me was fascinating because he was fired by his wall street firm and then um they gave him 10 million dollars so he you know he wasn't out on the street or anything but um he took that money and he was one of the really first people to realize how much uh computers could mean on wall street and how analytics and uh, would uh, help people trying to figure out whether it's a bond was a good buy or, you know, things like that. And so that machine he created um, became uh, so vital to Wall Street that at one point in 2015, when, um, I don't know, somebody unplugged the thing globally or something happened like that, no, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but all the Bloomberg machines went dark, and so for uh, quite a few hours, um, like uh, Bank of London had to delay a bond offering, and people, people, uh, the <laughs> there were some people in the financial community, I think, who looked up for the first time in years. I mean, it... <laughs> It, so that was life one. Life two was he got, he sort of got bored with that. He's very restless. He got bored with it and decided he wanted to be a politician. Now how you go from Wall Street to politics, you know, that's one of the things he's dealing with now is all the, the blowback about, uh, the things he said, which were, which, you know, may have sounded good on Wall Street, but they don't sound, uh, good today, um, in today's Me Too world. And so, uh, anyway, but he 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 got elected mayor, and as all of you know, in part he got elected because of nine eleven. Because um, a lot of people just decided they wanted somebody to run the city. They wanted a manager. They wanted somebody who um, could bring the city back. And Mark Green, who was the candidate at the time, didn't seem to be a um, you know, he was kind of a Bernie Sanders type. He was going to change the world. So anyway, he became mayor. He was mayor for 12 years. We can talk about that. And then he decided, uh, really, before he left um, City Hall, he decided that he wanted to give away his, all of his money before he died. You know, the way he put it is, I want my check to the undertaker to bounce. Mm -hmm. And... So he he and Patty Harris, who was his top deputy through all 12 years as mayor, they worked out a philanthropy system. They've given away about $10 billion so far. That is, um, and th this is separate from the political side. Um, so they've given away money for climate change, gun control, uh, anti-obesity, um, they've a lot of uh, trying to save lives uh, in in places like Bangladesh and parts of uh, Africa, and um, so he, uh, you know, he's done that, and a lot of that money has gone to cities, which um, he's starting to benefit in, in in some ways from the fact that he's supported so many cities because now mayors are supporting him. You know, it's funny that it's great you mentioned that because philanthropy 
Obviously, he did ramp that up toward the end of his time in office, but that was an issue while he was in office. I remember during the term limits discussion about whether he had, you know, seeded nonprofits uh, with with money and and they felt compelled to support his push for a third term. In in his discussion of the money when it comes to campaign finance, Mayor Bloomberg and his aides and allies always described it only as a positive that he was mm-hmm. free free of any interference from third parties. He wasn't going to be uh, going hat in hand to unions or developers or anybody else, that it was only a a net gain to the city. And obviously others have pointed out some of the other complexities that introduces of having Mm -hmm. Does Bloomberg get that? Does he understand that, that, that the money might raise some legitimate questions or does, does he really believe as though, uh, it, it, it isolates him and insulates him ethically 100%? You know, I mean, it's it's hard to say what somebody really believes, so I, I, I'm not sure I want to go exactly there. But I can tell you what he said. He has he he has talked about uh, money as as um, the agent for change, and he talked about that going back to high school. He was going to get rich and change the world. He said um, he's sort of he's kind of lived up to that in some ways, um, but. Uh, you know, one of the things he, you're going to tonight on the debate, you're going to hear a lot of criticism about the money he's putting into politics. Personally, I have to say this is just me. Um, I'm glad he's putting money in politics because most of the money in politics right now is coming from the Republican side, and the Democrats usually don't have very deep pockets, and they really can't do very much. And until we get rid of Citizens United, we can't just go to a gunfight with a knife. I mean, it's you need that money, um, even if you don't like it. A lot to unpack there. I'm gonna. I know. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. I mean, it's it's good to to hear what you think, of course, and that's that's a. a semi-controversial statement, I guess, worth worth a lot of discussion. But I wanted to just ask, going back to your biography or sort of look at him, for folks, you know, trying to still wrap their heads around him or, or you know, people newly interested, um, do you uh, – are there things that you think he really believes, um, you know, that are, are, are stalwart sort of codes for him or is he, you know, kind of a, a a really wealthy, pretty smart politician who, you know, picks his battles and changes his mind on things and, you know, isn't necessarily so beholden to anything other than the idea that he thinks he should be in charge? Well, I do think he thinks he should be in charge. Uh, I think that's absolutely right. But I, I also think that the reason he thinks he should be in charge is because he thinks he could do it better. He could you know, improve things. And if there's a, I mean, what I found, uh, one of the, one of the real threads uh, that I found running through his life and, and getting stronger, if a thread can get stronger, I guess it can, um, as he got older, uh, was this desire to fix things, this desire to, as uh, they, they say in the Jewish faith, tikkun uh, alam, to repair the world. And it is that just I can just imagine that that rumbles around in his head all the time. You know, I am a, an engineer and I can fix it. And that's sort of how you're hearing him talk about running for president. I'm going to get things done. I'm going to, you know, unlike everybody else, I can I can uh, make things work again. So um that is kind of, I think, how he thinks about this. I mean, if 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 I can come as close to saying how he does think about these things, you know, you just, as I said, you never know what somebody really mm-hmm. thinks. But I wonder about his uh, approach to the presidency and kind of the, the the personality of it, the 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 human role of being president. Because when Bloomberg was mayor, he you know he obviously embraced the job. He worked very hard. He did a lot of things. We we're going to argue for years about their significance. But in terms of the job itself, he kind of held it almost at arm's length. You know, he worked for only a dollar a year. He never officially lived in Gracie Mansion. He left virtually every weekend without telling the press very much about what he was doing to to an island somewhere. That he was able to make that. Work work as mayor, I don't know that that would fly 
as president, is he kind of constitutionally prepared for what it means to be president and all that that means in terms of you know, what you have is, to do as a lifestyle? That is such a good question. And uh, I and other people have asked him exactly <laughs> that. I mean, here's a, here's a part of that. I mean, okay, uh, Trump goes away and plays golf every weekend, but a president never goes anywhere alone. It just doesn't happen. And you not only have the Secret Service with you, you have, you know, people in the State Department, you have your press corps. You, uh, th- there's no uh, loneliness for a president. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, and so it would be different for Bloomberg. He could not go to Bermuda on his own and, you know, seal off the press. That would there would be riots in the streets. If he tried to do that, because um, because even Trump has to have somebody with him all the time, people around. The only time he didn't have people with him was when he sat down with Vladimir Putin. Mm. <laughs> so um, so uh, anyway, I mean, I think it would be different, very different from being mayor of New York. Um, but there would be some similarities too. I mean. Um, and we can yeah, talk and Mayor, about those. Mayor de Blasio you... has certainly complained about this very thing: the lack of privacy, the lack of sort of ability to be uh, be on your own a bit. And you know, he's he's referenced his prior life pre mayoralty in a <laughs> in a complaint a few times. Um, so, in terms of this approach to the Democratic primary, he sort of comes in late. He decided he didn't like what he saw, and he saw an opening. Um, What's the, you know, what's your sense of sort of the the Bloomberg playbook at play here? Is there just a flood the zone with a ton of money and the and make your own reality? Is that, uh, you know, sort of a, seems like a bit of a pattern for him? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are you what are you seeing as you watch this unfold here, given all the the background that you've done in the writing and research? Well, you know, I think there's several things going on there, if you'll indulge me for just sure. a second. Uh, one is, you know, he wants to be president. I mean, he he would love to be president. He's always wanted to be president. So that's, um, he's looking at a campaign for himself, how to be president. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see in the debate tonight how the Bloomberg people respond in the spin room and on Twitter, Twitter and everything like that, how they respond to whatever Bloomberg does that's probably not good for his campaign. So on one level, he is really campaigning for president. He's looking at, at March the 3rd, which is the big it's sort of D-Day for, you know, a third of the delegates for the nomination. So on one level, he's doing that. On another level... He and his, some of the people, I mean, you know, he runs this tech company, and so he's gotten, they've established this company called Hawkfish that is supposed to be designed to to use the, uh, use the internet, use um, uh, Twitter, use uh, Instagram, use Facebook in sophisticated ways much like the Trump campaign. I mean, the Democrats are are way behind in this area. And so one of the things that Bloomberg's doing is he's this this work will shore up the Democrats uh in this very crucial area. And then uh, finally, he's doing everything in his power uh to get rid of Donald Trump. And so you will see some of the stuff he's been doing, you know, some he's been taunting Trump on Twitter and, you know, and so many of the ads go straight for the gullet for, you know, um, for uh, Donald Trump. And he, you know, he's uh, he's after Trump and he feels that with his money and his his, uh, you know, um, understanding of the Internet, he can do more damage to Trump than any of these other Democrats, even if he's not the, the nominee. And so that's what I'm saying. There's there are, uh, you know, one of the things I learned uh, writing about 
Bloomberg and the city is that nobody ever does anything for one reason. Mm. And in this case, there are three or maybe four reasons why he is doing things the way he, he's doing them. One is he wants to be president, but there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. I think one thing people will see tonight is that Bloomberg is a much better debater than people give him credit for. I don't think he's ever – he may not have won all his debates, but he, he certainly uh, hasn't hasn't lost many. There be a lot of people on the stage too. That's a That's whole true. different ballgame. Eleanor, I'm curious. So we've been talking here about everything we, we learned when Bloomberg was mayor for 12 yeah. years. We covered him closely. You've written a, a whole book about the guy. Uh, but he's <laughs> running for president, and that is different. And so I'm curious, what do you think of the things we don't know? Like what are the questions out there about Bloomberg that hopefully – will get answered in the campaign, whether it's about particular policy areas, about approach to the use of presidential power. What do you want to know more about before this is all said and done? You know, somebody, there are a couple of questions that I would love to see somebody ask him. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'll see. One is, what has Trump done right? I mean, they've gone after Trump trade, you know, immigration, everything. So is there anything that Trump has done that he would expand on? Um, and so to just, um, to just sort of question what, what Trump has done that would, would be something he would carry on. I mean, Trump has established an incredible, um, uh, power center there in, in the White House. And I don't know about you, but I've never known a politician to give power away so um, it'd be interesting to see how he reacted to that. He's also, there, you know, we haven't, the Democrats have not churned up all the difficulties for uh, Bloomberg. He's going to have to deal with the question of unions. He's, um, and, um, you know, the homeless in New York City. There are questions that he's going to have to to talk, you know, answer if, if he gets any farther along in this um, campaign. But indeed, as I said, you know, that's only one part of his campaign. Mm-hmm. And as he always says, my plan B is better than most people's plan A. Mm, interesting. Last question for you, um, Eleanor. Uh, you know, Bloomberg sort of came into this, and I think you said this, you know, that's promising basically to help whoever the Democratic nominee winds up being. He hopes it's him. Um, he's certainly trying to do everything in his power and his wallet to to make it so. Um, but then, you know, pretty quickly here, he's really trained his sights on Bernie Sanders. And it's, you right. know, going after Sanders in a very aggressive way, which he had only in the beginning gone after Trump in those ways and now he's really going after Sanders and trying to make it this contrast between the two um any you know concerns relative to what you said earlier about sort of being glad that he's in the race and spending on behalf of Democrats you know I've seen some people quickly raise some eyebrows around like wait a second I thought you said you were really only going after Trump here Uh, well you know the thing is I think what I know what the campaign says, and what they say is it's not the thing about Bernie Sanders is we do not believe that he can beat Trump. Mm. And in fact, if he is the nominee, Trump will win. So that's what that's that's their argument. That's their the way they respond to exactly that. Um, I think, you know, um, I think it's going to be very hard for the Democrats not to. Uh, nominate Bernie Sanders. That's what it looks like. Right, the numbers, yeah. The numbers are And I am assuming like that. that if they are nominated, that Bloomberg will <clears throat> will help them. And I, I would be willing to bet, and I've got a little information in this area, that he will uh, turn a lot of his power um, and his money to making sure the Senate turns Democratic, mm. because you know that that would make all the difference in terms of the courts and the unless he he wants to make sure Sanders beats Trump but can't do too much <laughs> for his first <laughs> term. Uh Eleanor Randolph, we really appreciate the time. Eleanor Randolph is the author of the Michael Bloomberg uh biography The Many Lives of Michael Bloomberg. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Bye.
So, Jarrett, a couple great conversations with real veterans and knowledgeable folks on Michael Bloomberg. Uh, and a couple great calls, which added a excellent, lot. Very, excellent calls, yes. Thoughtful callers. WBA callers, as always. Um, your your thoughts here as we've sort of kicked up quite a bit on the Michael Bloomberg trail. You know, it's we're talking about this now. Who knows in a week's time if this will still seem to be the it conversation, right? Tonight's debate could change a lot. The results on Saturday could change a lot, too, in a lot of different ways. So who knows? But I think it's a very valuable conversation to start talking now about Bloomberg's legacy as mayor, whether this campaign of his continues for a few hours or, or several years, uh, because it's something that obviously, as we've discussed it, we realize how little we've processed it, even uh, you know a term and a half after his departure. Totally agree with you on that. In terms of what that looks like, you know, all this attention, all this discussion of Bloomberg could quiet down considerably if Bernie Sanders runs away with Nevada, which he may very well do on Saturday, and then Joe Biden really underperforms in South Carolina and Sanders overperforms. I mean, we could be looking at, as Eleanor just sort of said, that this Bernie Sanders nomination is looking really, really likely very soon. Obviously, Bloomberg will be on the ballot for the Super Tuesday states, so nobody's going to really decide anything, I don't think. I mean, some people might drop out after Nevada and or South Carolina, but in terms of really deciding where the pieces are, you know, Super Tuesday, I think, is coming soon enough that some people will hang around and we'll know a lot more about Bloomberg's chances then. Um, but the way that Sanders looks right now is very daunting for the competition, which again brings me, I, I just have to say, it brings me back to my frustration with the importance of Iowa and New Hampshire. I don't care who's looking the strongest coming out of those. It happens to be Sanders. It's just really unfortunate, I think, how much is determined by the results in those two very small not very representative of the larger electorate states. Yes, it is. It is a messed up system. I think we can pull a put a line under that. But in terms of what people, uh, the choices people have, at least as of now, again, we'll be talking about the relevance of those candidates and their positions to New York City next week in that special live audience edition of Max and Murphy, 4.30 p.m., 388 Atlantic Avenue, Commons Cafe, surrogates from all the candidates talking about those positions, those candidates, what they would mean to New York City's voters and residents if, if those people became president. Uh, that'll be next week. We're on every Wednesday here talking about politics, city, local, and national. Uh, please join us every week at 5. Stay tuned to WBAI. And uh, thanks for joining Ben, Max, and I. Until next week, have a great week in the greatest city in the world. 